1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I usually take just some really quick notes before a message just to make sure I don't forget certain passages I want to go to. And I usually write at the top of the notes what I'm doing tonight. And so I have 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through question mark. So, which either means we're going to do all five chapters tonight, or I don't know for sure what that means. So we'll see what the Lord has in store. Now, when I do a Wednesday night, I like doing Wednesday nights different than we do on Sundays. That's one of the things that we've always done when we've taught the Wednesday nights out here. It's always like to be, because I dropped my pen, a little bit different theme than what we do on a Sunday. So if I was teaching through this on a Sunday, I'd probably emphasize a little bit different things than what I'm emphasizing tonight. Because on Sunday mornings, the way I kind of look at it is, um, you never know who's going to be here. You've got hundreds of people here. Some have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Some have been walking with the Lord for 30 minutes, and some aren't even walking with the Lord. And so you have this eclectic group that you're trying to share. For on Wednesday nights, everybody that comes is obviously born again and saved. I mean, why else would you be at church on a Wednesday night unless you were born again and saved, except for some people over there to the right? Um, but the point is, so some of the things that I'm emphasizing tonight, I would not maybe emphasize as much on a Sunday. And some of these things that you think, well, wow, that's a pretty big point that you're skipping over. It's not that I'm skipping over. I like Wednesdays because you can just chew on things a little bit differently. And that's what I want to do here tonight. So we left off last week. We left off last week. We just did the first couple verses of First Peter. And we're taking our time through this book because we did it two weeks ago who Peter was. We talked about how it's vital to know who Peter was before you get into this. And if you think you know who Peter was, I really encourage you, go back a couple weeks ago, grab the CD, listen to it online, to really get that background of who Peter is. He's one of the most relatable people we have in the New Testament. Um, most relatable. We can really relate to Peter a lot. So last week we talked about who, a little bit more of who Peter was, got through the first couple of verses, and we left off right here. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Kind of a standard greeting, but it's an important greeting because we obviously are searching for grace we're searching for peace. And how do we have grace and peace? Well, look at the first few words before that phrase, Jesus Christ. And look at the verse 3, Jesus Christ is mentioned two times. If you want grace, you want peace, you've got to have Jesus Christ. So let's see what happens here. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the reason I like Peter a little bit more than Paul, Paul, if you read any of his writings, his introduction usually takes up about half of the first chapter. And I'm not a student of Greek, I'm not an expert of the Greek, but in the original Greek, Paul's introductions that take verse after verse after verse are actually one long flowing sentence. Peter, he just jumps right to the point here. And that's what I like about him. What's he going to talk about? Well, the key word that he's going to talk about here in verses 3 and 4 is this word, inheritance. Now, I like that. Anytime you think about an inheritance, that's something you have to like. Now, before we can get to what our inheritance is in verse 4, we have to realize how do we get an inheritance, and we get an inheritance, verse 3, through Jesus Christ. Now, on a Sunday morning, I'd probably spend a lot of time talking about Jesus Christ and that phrase right there, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's obviously Christianity 101. Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going to do a whole topical on that next week as we talk about Excellent Wednesday. But here's the thing that really hit me, is what do we have because Jesus rose from the dead? Look at that word there, and it's an important word. We have hope. I don't know about you. There's a lot of times in my life, and especially here recently, it's been tough. And a lot of people come in on Wednesday nights, let's be honest, you've either worked a day, or you're going to work tomorrow, or you've taken care of kids all day. To come on a Wednesday, you're, you're kind of dragging by the time 7 o'clock rolls in. And it's a battle to get here half the time. So what do we need to hear in verse 3? 
there's hope out there. And there's hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus. And what else do we get through the resurrection of Jesus? Here's the word, verse 4, an inheritance. And not just an inheritance. Look how this inheritance is described. New King James describes it as incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, and reserved in heaven for you. That's some pretty neat stuff. Let's read this one again. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. One translation translated like this, that it never perishes, spoils, or fades. Sounds like a laundry commercial, but I like that. Now, think about that. Something that is that guaranteed, that guaranteed. As the boys are getting older, they get money for Christmas, they get money for their birthdays. And one of the things that we do is we set up a savings account for each one. And so what happens is they collect their money and I take it to the bank and I put in the savings for them. And it just totally crushes them because they'll have $20 at home, let's say. I take it to the bank and I come back and they want to see their money. So I show them this little blue book that says numbers in it. And Elias just doesn't really get it. He doesn't understand where the money is. And poor Judah, the last time, Judah was just sure someone was going to come in and take their money. So here I am trying to explain to a five-year-old what uh, FDIC insured means and the deposit and I look at this, and I look at this inheritance that we have in verse 4, reserved in heaven for you. I like that. No one's touching that. No one's going to mess with that. Uncorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. You realize how big of a deal that is? And this is really hard for us to think about eternity. And this is why I kind of wanted to do First Peter after we did Revelation. Because we just did a whole bunch of stuff on heaven and eternity and everything like that. We, we have to stop and think that we live in this world and we're going to get maybe, what, 80, 90, maybe 100 years out of this world, if that, to know that there's something that lasts forever past this is what really should hopefully spur us on. Because this world is going to totally let us down. I mean, we're going to be let down by our kids, by our spouse, by our boss, by our pastor, by everybody. We're going to be let down. And so what keeps us going? The hope, verse 3, I have in Jesus Christ that I have an inheritance that once again is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, and reserved in heaven. That's what gets us going. Now, it's really easy to talk about this, and this is what happens as Christians. We talk about heaven, and we have these great conversations about heaven, and we talk about the rapture and all these other type of stuff that's going on, and then what happens is we kind of catch ourselves, and we all smile about how great it is that we're going to go to heaven, etc. But then you get somebody that's honest, and somebody that's honest will sometimes say, you know, I really don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. So then I take them to Revelation, and we talk about, well, there's going to be no tears, no sadness, you know, nothing like that. The curse is going to be gone, and everybody's like, oh, that's great, that's wonderful. And then there's somebody really honest one more time that says, yeah, but what are we going to do up there for eternity? And then somebody usually has this great Christian cliche answer of, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's just going to be great being near Jesus for all of eternity, which is true. But then you really stop and you think, what's it really going to be like? I have two verses I want to share with you. Two verses about this. Can you go to 1 Corinthians 13, please? 1 Corinthians 13. When we went and first talked about heaven... We talked about what heaven was going to be like in Revelation. We talked about, once again, no more tears, no more sadness, no more curse, that no more hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. We talked about how being in the presence of God for all of eternity. But what's it really going to be like? 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go ahead and start here in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put, child, put away childish things. There comes a time and a place where we grow up. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I was about to say, don't repeat this, but this is obviously recorded. Verse 12. I see dimly, now I know in part. I don't fully know what heaven's going to be like. I don't fully know. I don't fully grasp. We've talked about this before, how we 
we, we use the example of how would you explain the ocean to someone who's never even seen the ocean? It's this really big body of water. Water that you just can't see the end of. So it's like a really big pond? No, it's not like a really big pond. It's an ocean. I mean, how would you explain the Grand Canyon to someone who's never seen it? Uh, it it's a hole in the ground. But it's not a hole in the ground. It's really cool. I mean, it's like this big, you know, you can't explain it unless you've seen it. And so for God to say, okay, you have a finite mind and you are very earthly and everything you do is based on touch and not faith, he really can't explain heaven to us so well. So verse 12, we're really just seeing a dim picture of it, a, a very dim picture of it. But now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am now known. So God says, trust me, when you see the big picture, you'll like it. One more verse on this, and we're going to take a break for a second. Go to 1 John, please. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. It's important for us to know these passages because this is where our inheritance is at. This is where we're going to be spending all of eternity at. So this inheritance that's going to be revealed to us, what's it going to be like? 1 John 3, let's start in verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Realize? It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. Someone asked me a question a while ago, and it was a really, really good question. And I didn't have an answer for it. And the question was, what age are people going to be like up in heaven? Well, what a legitimate question. You know, obviously when I think of my grandparents that have already died, I think of them as my grandparents. I think of them in their 70s. I think of them in their 80s. Where obviously people that had known them earlier did not think of them in that capacity. You know, when you think of those type of things, you think, what age is people going to be up there? You know, you stop and you think, I really don't know for sure. I heard a pastor say one time, it's just personal opinion, and I don't necessarily agree with it. He says, everybody's going to be 33. He says, that's the age that Jesus died. So I don't know. That's what he said, because it says we're going to know him when he's revealed, and we shall be like him. 33, I guess, is the perfect age. I don't know. But I look at verse 2, and there's a comfort in not knowing. Because look one more time at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. That's part of the faith thing. And I think this is what we struggle with sometimes as Christians, is this whole hope thing. Is I will have hope in God, I will have faith in God, I will have trust in God. When he fully reveals to me the complete plan of what is going to happen, and when he fully reveals to me the complete plan of what's going to happen, then I will trust him completely. No. The Bible says... It's not been revealed what it's going to be like in heaven. The Bible says we're just looking dimly through a glass. God says, just trust me. It's never going to perish. It's never going to spoil. It's never going to fade. It's undefiled, uncorruptible, and it's waiting for you. So just trust me. So that's what I get out of these first few verses is just trust him. We don't know what the future is, but the Lord says, just trust me. We're not going to know everything. And so if you're one of those people that has to know absolutely everything before you take a step, and you're never going to walk into heaven because the Bible says it's not been revealed what it's going to be and we just look dimly. God says, just trust me, it's going to be worth it. And I like that point. Anybody have any quick questions, comments about heaven or anything we talked about? Yeah, John. Yeah. Verse 3, there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. There's a couple different ways I think you could take a look at that, that idea of begotten us again. I would think of the first one I think of as being born again, is that idea of that we were born once and then we were born again. And so we have been begotten once, I'm begotten of my mother, and now I'm begotten of God the Father. That's probably the way I would probably go with it right there. So, Anybody else have anything? Yeah, Steph. You know, I, I, I don't like it when people ask me that question. Um, because, and this is why, and that's a very legit question. It's a very legit question. Because there, there is, in the Christian book circuit, there, there are numerous books about people that have died and gone to heaven and come back, and they, and they reveal their experiences. And, and this is what I say um, to that, and this is just my 
personal opinion when it comes to this. And I'm going to let me find the reference here real quick. And I'm just going to read to you what uh, Paul wrote. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He goes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was called up to the third heaven. So he went to heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, he was called up into the paradise, heaven, heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And I take people to that passage because Paul here, and most people would presume that Paul is talking about Paul, is that Paul said basically heaven was so amazing that our words cannot put it into expression of what it is really like and goes on up there. So the way I answer that is by totally dodging the question completely and saying, scripturally speaking, Paul says, when I was up into heaven, that it was so amazing, it was so great, I can't even put it into words what I saw or what it was like. Also think about, too, when John in Revelation, when he described heaven in the book of Revelation, there's many times he tried to describe this scene, and he couldn't do it. I mean, he just, the English language was limited in how it could describe it. So when someone comes up to me and asks me about that, I usually answer the question by saying, well, you know what? It looks like Paul saw a glimpse of heaven, and it looks like John saw a glimpse of heaven, and both of them had a really difficult time trying to put into words of what it was like. And Paul himself came out right and said, right then, it's inexpressible what it's like. So I answer the question by totally dodging it. So that's my opinion on it. It's tough to express what it's really like. So sometimes when I see some books like that, and this is just my opinion, don't kill me, it's just my opinion that, you know what? I don't know if those books are really what it's going to be like because Paul and John both said it's a pretty tough place to talk about. So, but thanks for asking a difficult question, Steph. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Rose. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing that you put there. You don't get an inheritance until someone dies. And that's why it's so vital. If you look right before that word inheritance, look at the end of verse 3 one more time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's one of the themes that we hit next Wednesday hard is, is Jesus dying. Before we can celebrate Easter, before we can have the empty tomb, before we can have the joy of sunrise service on Easter, we've got to understand the guy died. And he just didn't die. He died a, a horrible death of, of, because of our sins. And I think we have a tendency sometimes as Christians to just overshoot this idea of death. So you're absolutely right, Rose. We're talking about this wonderful inheritance. But to get an inheritance meant that Jesus had to die. And that's an important part that has to be mentioned numerous times again and again. Jesus had to die. And I heard a pastor say one time, Jesus did not die to give you a better life. He did not die to give you this. He did not die to give you that. He died because you're a sinner. And we have to understand the reason Christ died is because my sin put him on the cross. That has to be mentioned. Yeah, John. Yeah, what, what we get is, oh, what's the word? Um, it's a down payment. I mean, that's how it's translated. There's a, what? Yeah. yeah, we get the Holy Spirit living inside of us is just the down payment on the bigger inheritance that's coming in heaven. What a neat thing that is. And just this idea of being revealed one more time, if you look there at verse 5, we're kept by the power of God through faith. That idea of faith again. We don't see it for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It comes down to faith. We just don't know for sure. And I don't mean it like we just don't know, but I'm saying as God says, I can't even fully reveal this to you because that you can't handle it. You, you wouldn't be able to fully grasp and understand it because you're just babes. You're just babes. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Well, now, I think this is where it really gets kind of interesting because it sounds like he totally changes tone here. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, was tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's really interesting. He starts talking about trials right now. I mean, I mean, look at the, the segue here. Verse 3, you have hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4, which gives you this inheritance. Verse 5, which has not been fully revealed to you, but just have faith. Verse 6, now you're going to struggle through life. It doesn't really seem like there's a segue. There's not. And I, I heard a great teaching on this. I shouldn't say I heard a great teaching. I read a great article about this you know, a few weeks ago where it talked about these difficulties that we go through in life now are really fine-tuning us for an eternity in heaven. And a lot of times when God allows these things to happen in our lives that we whine and moan and complain about, God says, I'm just refining you for the greaterness of eternity. Because once you get to eternity, you're done. And so God says, I want to refine you now. I want you to bring more rewards, and I want you to be more like me here on earth, so that way I'm preparing you for all of eternity. You know, you don't want to quit while it's not yet finished and complete. You want to wait until it's done, and then you can move forward with it. And so often we want to speed up the process, and God says, no, just wait. These trials are not fun. And, we, and we've taught on verses 6 through 9 numerous times, so I'm not going to go through it like quickly like it's not important, but we've hit this a lot. Just some quick points on this. Verse 6. Three things you need to know about verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Three points out of verse 6. First one is, trials only last a limited time. That's only a little while. Now, it may not feel like a little while to you. Those days may be coming months. Those months may be coming years. But generally speaking, all trials have an end. Whatever you're struggling with right now, it's going to have an end. If you're laying sick on the couch, you know you're going to eventually feel better. You just don't know when, but you know you will. These trials have an end. They're only for a little while. Now, usually at this point, somebody comes up and says, okay, mine's not a little while. I'm dealing with grief over the loss of a loved one, of a, of a spouse, of a child, what have you. I'm going to carry that grief till the day I die. But you know what? The day you die, that trial ends because now you have your hope of eternity in heaven. Someone may say, well, physically, I'm suffering with this condition and I will suffer with this condition until the day I die. Well, when you die, that trial ends because you now have a new body in Jesus Christ waiting for you in heaven. So no matter how you look at it, the trial ends. It's only a little while. And even if you suffer with that to the day you die, compared to eternity, it's only a little while. Which takes to our next point. You have been grieved by various trials. That word grieved, it's tough. It means sorrowful, sadness, grief. Trials are not fun. I think sometimes as Christians we get shocked when bad things happen to good people. I mean, we just talked about this a couple Sundays ago. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Those trials and tribulations God allows into our lives because it grows us. And look at the middle point here. If need be. God says, you need to go through this. You need to. No one thinks we need to. No one does. But let's just all be honest. If we all look in the physical mirror of life, we can point out those areas in our body that are out of shape and a little flabby. I need to work on those. Well, God is spiritually putting a mirror up in front of us and says, you know what? You need to work on this. I've shared with you numerous times before. If you struggle with patience, what do you think God's going to do? He's always going to bring somebody into your life that just pushes your buttons. Patience. If you struggle with loving the unlovable, what's he going to do? He's always going to have somebody unlovable in your life to say, will you love them? If you struggle with always having to know what's going to happen, what's God going to do? He's always going to allow something in your life be a complete unknown to you, so that way you have to learn to trust him. Whatever personality traits, spiritually or whatever flaw you have in Christ, God is always going to have a trial in your life until you learn to pass the test. It's just a fact of life. We do not hand out driver's license. You have 
to pass the test. It's not like you fail once, you fail twice, and they finally say, you know what, we feel bad for you, just take, take it, just take the license. No, you have to pass the test. Same thing spiritually. If you keep running into the same thing again and again and again, why do you think that's happening? Every now and then I'll have someone call me up and say, my goodness, every job I have, I have somebody that's just like this. That's God allowing that person in your life to test you, to grow you. Why, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God says, I am allowing these things in your life to test you, to refine you, to work out those areas of weakness that you may not even see. I want to build on this. If you're taking notes, we're running out of time, so just write down this reference. This is out of Job 23.10. Job 23.10. And remember, Job is saying this. In the middle of his trial, he says, But he, meaning God, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. See, Job says, when I'm tested, I'm going to come out of this better, stronger, what have you. I don't know how many times I've told people out here at church, listen, you're going through something right now that is horribly difficult, but you know what? Years from now, you're going to be able to minister to somebody who's going through this exact thing. Now, at that time... We don't want to think about that, do we? We never want to think about that in any way whatsoever. One of the greatest testimonies I've ever heard, it's one of my favorite pastors of all time, his name is John Corson. I absolutely love that guy. And for some of you that may not know John Corson, John Corson tragically uh, lost his wife in a car accident many, many years ago. And it was a very tragic car accident and a very tragic situation to lose his spouse in the middle of ministry. Well, what happened roughly about 10 years later, he lost his daughter in a very similar car accident, very tragically. So here's a very man, very public ministry that lost his wife, tragically, openly in a car accident, then lost his daughter, tragically, in a car accident. And I was listening to his testimony about it. And when you listen to this man that has been through the death of a spouse and the death of a child, wow, that's a guy that's come out genuine. That's a guy that's been tested. That's a guy that when he speaks now about trusting the Lord in difficult times, you listen a little bit more because the genuineness of his faith being tested by fire has now been proven. And now how many millions of people has he touched through that testimony? It's an amazing thing. Turn, if you will, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Great passage here, and if we have time, we may do a little bit more, but this may be the passage that we end on. Remember, trials, they're limited, they're needed, they're tough, but God uses them to grow us in areas that we're weak in. What happens when you're going through this trial and you can't handle it anymore? We've all had moments like that. I've had moments like that recently where I've said, I can't do this. I can't handle this anymore. I'm done. I quit. I'm over. It's over. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Isn't that amazing? Every day, I'm one day closer to dying. But hopefully every day, my inward man is becoming more and more like Jesus in all that I do and all that I say. Verse 17. Look at this. For our light affliction which is but for a moment. A lot of times we say, my affliction is not light. The grief I'm struggling with, the emotional pain, the physical pain, this is not light. Compared to eternity, it's light. Which is but for a moment. This is not for a moment. I've been struggling with this for decades. It's for a moment in the whole scheme of eternity. God is using it, the middle of verse 17, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And we say this all the time out here. You keep your eyes on the Savior, not on the situation. If you keep your eyes on the situation, you will become depressed, you'll become discouraged, and you'll become doubtful. But when you keep your eyes on the Savior, it goes back to the first word we talked about tonight, He gives us hope. And remember... Peter writing this, go to our lesson two weeks ago. 
This is the same Peter where Jesus said, at the end of your life, you will be taken places you do not want to go. You will suffer of death that you do not want to suffer. So when Peter's sitting here and saying, hey, you will be grieved, you will go through trials, life will be difficult, he's not just saying it, he's living it. You have to remember he's going through it. So somebody here tonight, you may have come in, and you may be in the midst of a trial right now, and you, you can barely hold your head up. God says it's limited, it's needed, and it's tough. God says it's working a bigger thing that you can ever imagine. God says, I will use it for something greater. And he said, it's a light, momentary affliction that's working out for something eternally better than what you can ever imagine. Oh, I don't ever give up. Don't ever give up and realize the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as we go through this. Anybody have any final questions, comments about this stuff before I close up? Steph. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that, that's a great ex- point there. Because I thought you were going to say, oh, we'll never compare to how great heaven will be. But, but we, and there's a downside. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what Steph was saying there, whatever we're facing in this world, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, never compares to what, what the eternity of hell is. And every now and then I'll run into somebody that says, you know, my life is hell. I'm going through hell right now. And if you really stop and you think about it, no, because you still have the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart to bring you comfort. I mean, the Bible says he's the comforter. So no matter what, we have him that's getting us through this. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just come to you now, um, Lord, we're struggling with stuff. All of us here tonight are bringing struggles into this. And, uh, Lord, some of these struggles we've been struggling with for a long time, some of it's physical, some of it's emotional, some of it's spiritual, but the point is we're all struggling. Lord, encourage us, uplift us, help us through this light, momentary affliction. Lord, remind us that our faith is being tested and coming out stronger. Remind us, Lord, that you will use this for a greater good. And, Lord, when we lose hope, when we're ready to throw the towel in, remind us, Lord, that there's this wonderful inheritance reserved for us in heaven. What a blessing that will be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, so much. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Um, could you some help with some stuff here tonight? We have a uh, funeral out here on Friday. If we could have the chairs split um, for the funeral. And also, too, if some guys want to head to the back, we need to set up a seating in the back uh, for the funeral meal as well. So if we could have some uh, laborers to help out with that, we'd really be appreciated. So you guys have a good week, and God bless.